What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes a guest, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Hey, Bulls. You're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa. 16:20 a.m. on campus and streaming worldwide at the tunein.com and the tunein app. So this is the three o'clock hour of Anthro Alert, and so if you listen to our two o'clock hour with Dr. Zarger, uh, thank you for staying with us. And if you're just tuning in, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you're new to the show, let me take a take a minute or two and just let me tell you a little bit about what we do here on Anthro Alert. So this show is simply about anthropology and why it matters. Each week we'll discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology to discuss their research and to have them weigh in on everyday topics or current events. So we believe that this is a good opportunity for us as anthropologists, as students of anthropology, to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of an anthropological perspective. Uh, Just like every week, we like to preface our show with... uh, Disclaimer that the statements we make or the opinions the opinions we express here on AnthroAlert are not necessarily representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF for Student Government. So the opinions that we express here on AnthroAlert are our own opinions. They're just that. All right, so with no further ado, let's get straight into the second hour of the show. We have... Uh, Jean Piero, uh, PhD student. So, thank you for joining us. Thank you uh, for you. Yeah, uh, and so he got his BA and his MA in, in Napoli, and he currently studies topics relating to cultural and material interactions between indigenous groups of southern Italy um, in relation to like the early Greek settlers in the late Iron Age. And so his research examines questions surrounding uh, ceramic traditions and technology. Uh, is that that about covers your research? Yeah, I mean, pretty much, yes. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Um, so he's obviously an archaeologist, but um, <laughs> I think you said you're kind of, you're kind of an anthropologist too, right? You kind of yeah, blend yeah. them a little bit. Yeah, basically this sort of um, mindset. Um, I'm starting to adopting this sort of mindset since I'm here. It's been like three years so far, right? Um, because. My background studies are um, mainly focused on history of arts and Mm -hmm. archaeology itself. In Italy, the way we frame the discipline is kind of different. Archaeology doesn't belong to the anthropological field, Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. something separated from it. Yeah. Uh, Whereas since I'm here, I'm kind of like trying to adopt this sort of like new perspective. So it's basically the the goal is basically the same it's the starting point that it's kind of like different right uh, i'm not anymore um a critical um uh, pr- professional in terms of um defining arts i'm more towards like understanding social and cultural changes through time and okay. more focused on the people than the actual mm. materials okay so you're saying like in your in italy and your studies in italy archaeology was maybe more st- 
focused on the materials and the arts and, and things yes. like that? Yes. Okay. It's because of the background of the study of the discipline right. back in Italy, more related to the uh, antiquarian world. So oh, okay. let's say yeah. like a bunch of white people buying um, uh, archaeological materials. Right, right. And then going somewhere, finding stuff, saying this is mine now, and then bringing it back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like Indiana Jones, basically. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we reference Indiana Jones all the time. <laughs> Uh, so your your work in particular focuses on the time periods of the late Bronze Age and the early Iron Age. So for people that aren't really familiar uh, with those periods in time, or you're looking kind of at the transition between those two ages, can you well can you kind of tell us like you know what do those times signify and like what roughly uh, were the time periods? Uh, yes, I can do like a really quick summary just to understand okay. the timeline that we're talking about. Sure. So there's like a period called Neolithic, which is basically the the starting of the s civilization, let's say, in the way we see that today too. So with agriculture, settlements, more stable resources and economies. Sure. Uh, through time, of course, dynamics change. Bronze Age is roughly in the area that I'm studying starts around the uh, second millennium BC. Mm -hmm. uh, so. You have a, the um, the development of um, cosmopolitan societies, let's say, right. like, uh, people coming from all the Mediterranean basin. We need to. Un I mean, I want to stress this out now because I'm going to talk about Mediterranean archaeology. And right. Mediterranean is not just a sea; it's highway. People yeah. used to navigate and sailing through across the Mediterranean since ever. Right, so right. even far back in time, um, hominins. Uh, so it's pretty interesting the way people were perceiving the Mediterranean landscape, right. which is not just the land, but it's also a, a seascape. Mm -hmm. um, and this could uh, help people to connect, right. even if they were far away. Uh, and Bronze Age, so roughly around... 1800 BC, uh, you can start seeing this sort of like intense connection between the Eastern Mediterranean basin, so where there's uh, Syria, Lebanon, Turkey, uh, Egypt too, they started to get in, in contact more and more often with people from Sicily, Italy, Southern Italy, Sardinia, and then later on with uh, Balearic Island in Spain, Morocco, Tunisia, and so. Lots of people frame these sort of like changes through time as a sort of like um, diffusionistic approach. Right. So people coming from the e people from the east coming to the west. Right. Um, so I would like to expand more this sort of narrative because um, between Bronze Age and Iron Age, you can start seeing local people trying to establish their own culture and put boundaries, cultural boundaries between which is on the island and which is coming from elsewhere. Right. And putting social and cultural boundaries is something that you don't see clearly in the Bronze Age. You're going you're gonna to start seeing them more marked later mm. on in time in the Iron Age. So is, one of your, so is that one of the things you're trying to look at is, you know, why were these kind of social and cultural boundary, boundaries being put up? Yes. Okay. So my study basically is focused on understanding the technological changes through time because that specific time period that I'm looking at between Bronze Age and Iron Age is when 
the local culture at Sant'Angelo Muxaro, the site that I'm working on, yeah. um, started to develop. Mm. And I, we would like to expand the narrative about it to understand if local people actually kept using their traditions and their customs um, uh, against the influences coming from the early, uh, late Mycenaean kingdoms and after the, the, no, the, the phenomenon called uh, Dark Age, which is some right. sort of like civilization collapse. I'm not fam- right. I don't want to use right. these sort of words because they're tricky. So, yeah, right. uh, but this is how archaeology frames the time period. And so basically after this Dark Age, people from the East started to spread out all over the Mediterranean. And I would like to see if these new incomer- newcomers were bringing their technology and local people adopted them or they were like resisting for some sort of like cultural identity or mm. I don't know, social or social policy they were adopting. It's right. really hard to find right. these in the archaeological record. Right. So it's really tricky. <laughs> so how are you gonna how are you going to go about addressing that, that question then? Um so what I can do is I can I'm going to look at the um, uh, pots basically pottery okay. but not just from an aesthetical point of view not just in terms of like their typology so like yeah. a big vessel against cups but also in terms of technology so I'm going to look at the materials the chemical composition of the materials the frame the the, the texture of the pottery yeah. uh, in order to understand the actual um, uh, steps involved in pottery making mm-hmm. and yeah. if these uh, these sort of like steps were kept through time um okay. and also yeah. by doing so using petrography which is something that i can grab from geology from geological fields right uh, i can look at um basically some sort of like features that you cannot see just by looking at the pot you need to look at the inner structure of the materials and you can in that way you can also understand where they gathered the clays if there were some sort of like taboo about clay sources, let's gather right. clay here instead of there. This kind of reasoning. So, are there uh, specific? Are these pots from specific communities that you're looking at? Yeah. So basically, people. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the site that I'm looking at it's the name of this modern town, Sant'Angelo Muxaro. Uh, Muxaro, by the way, comes from the Arab mushar, which means cute hill, uh, <laughs> and there's a long history about Christians and Arabs fighting in Sicily. So that's why this town has this specific name. Um, And the town is built upon this hill. Um, All around it, there's uh, a cemetery of the local prehistory population. Um, They're rock-cut tombs. So you can actually see holes in the mountain. They're tombs. It's amazing. It's a beautiful view. Um, And so I'm analyzing pottery coming from this cemetery. So uh, just to point this out, I'm by doing so, I'm looking at funerary um, materials, not even mm-hmm. like daily materials, but right. specific kind of materials coming from burials. So probably mm-hmm. they, ca- they can also have other meanings besides functionality. Right, right. So like some kind of symbolic meaning or, yeah. or things of that nature. Um, so do you know kind of... Did, do you have any sort of hints at maybe the social status of the people that were buried there, like in the tombs? So um, tombs, uh, archaeologists working there, because they've been working since 10 years now, yeah. uh, they really think it's um, 
household-based burials. Okay. So, but apparently each family were was using same um, pottery assemblages. They were mm. the pottery samples are not that different. So the question is, are they producing them by themselves, or there's like an actual workshop producing pottery for everybody? And mm. if there's a mm-hmm. workshop, where this workshop gathered the clay? How they were building pottery there? Whereas if it's household-based production, what's the difference between households? Right. And by doing so, I want to see if there, there's some sort of like cultural influence from the Middle East. So, for example, the mm. uh, potter wheel, pottery wheel, yeah, which is something that we didn't have in southern Italy before Greeks arrived mm. or Mycenaean arrived. So, right. let's say 14, yeah. 15, 14th century BC. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Um, we're going to pause the conversation right there. We're going to take a short music break and then we will be back. Hey, Bulls. You're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620M on campus and streaming worldwide at the TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. Uh, thanks for coming back to listen to us. You're listening to Anthro Alert, and we've been talking to Jean Piero about his work um, in the field of Mediterranean anthropology, working looking at ceramic traditions and technological change between the Bronze Age and the early Iron Age. Um, so Jean-Pierre, can you talk a little bit more about the site that you've been working at, uh, Sant'Angelo, um, uh, Muxaro. Muxaro. Sorry. I, I don't speak Italian, so <laughs> no, it's fine. I don't apologize worry. for, for butchering, for butchering that name, but be uh, careful. My friends are listening to you. Yeah, so. I know. I, I'm going to, I'm going to get better. I swear. <laughs> um, yeah, but tell us a little bit more about, about this site and the, and the town and stuff. So um, this site is pretty interesting because it's um, uh, it's related to my uh, mythological uh, tales, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting from an historical point of view uh, because early Greek colonists, when they came to Italy, in order to claim uh, lands over indigenous communities, uh, they used literature, to, they used writing, they used history to claim that they were there already. Mm-hmm. Um, so this site, Sant'Angelo Muxaro specifically, uh, it's related to a um, specific myth uh, that connects Eastern Mediterranean, specifically Crete. So it's Greek culture yeah. um, with a local prehistory in Sicily. Uh, because supposedly Sant'Angelo Muxaro is the place where Minos, the king of Crete, uh, the mythological king, the king of Crete, of course, right. died. And this has lots of implica- impl- implications from an historical point of view because later on during time, lots of Greek colonists um, claimed their land according to this oh, sort of right. legend. Right. But also for ar- um, archaeology, uh, Italian archaeology traditionally is really related to history and uh, philology, which means the study of ancient writings mm, uh, mm-hmm. and the decodification of uh, meanings right. beyond the word themselves. So this site is really interesting because of that. And when I had the chance to work on this project, I was really excited, first of all, because of this myth. Right, that's um, really cool. 
Minos is the creator of the um, uh, the guy they wanted uh, a labyrinth to be built in his palace where he put yeah. the Minotaur. So in it's the middle, yeah. So it's really cool, right? Uh, the the only thing that we're lacking of now in um, Sicily archaeology is that lots of uh, prehistory uh, studies about prehistory in southern Italy, specifically in, in Sicily, has been done in the early um, decades of the 20th century, mm. where the archaeological practice was totally different than now. So. Right. Um, there was the the main guy working on um, prehistory of southern Italy, in specifically Sicily, is Paolo Orsi, and he was not that interested in, for example, skeletal rem- remains or right. bones. Yeah. So he just entered every tombs, documented everything, but he threw away every bones that he could found. So oh, no. if there were bones related to Greek people, now we don't have them anymore. Yeah. So we cannot study bones to understand if people they were buried there are local or they come from elsewhere right so you're studying the materials and i'm studying the material but okay. most probably they're local uh belong to local households uh, yeah. because this cemetery has been uh used uh, for a long time right time um so what i'm going to do is going to sicily um work with the um, the people there they're they've been doing great things uh with the local museum um, the museum in Sant'Angelo Muxaro uh, has been built with recycled materials by local by the actual um, um, citizens of the the town. Uh, they paid that. They paid mm. that. The museum now doesn't have a real fee. It's basically free entry. Um, it's open seven days a week, uh, and it stores beautiful materials coming from all the area around Sant'Angelo. And when I went there last summer, I found these amazing people. You need to understand that that town is really small. Right. And young people usually commute to go to school because it's far from every big center. So oh, wow. okay. they have to commute. But once they grew up, like, say, 18, 19, they leave the town. Right. And they start going in big towns just to do, like, college or yeah. uh, to work. So that town can host roughly more than 1,000 people, but now there's like less than 500 probably. Wow, yeah, all of small. them, all of them are more than 50 years old probably. <laughs> right. That's why they're now hosting lots of immigrants coming from northern Africa because of the okay. immigration crisis, and it's beautiful to see like old people walking hand by hand with little <laughs> right. little immigrant kids. And believe me. The pe- uh, uh, local people there, they don't know how to speak Italian. They speak local dialect. Oh, really? And immigrants, for sure, they don't know how to speak dialect. And they <laughs> right. probably speak barely Italian. Italian. Yeah. So it's, right. I really don't know how the communication works, but it's amazing. Yeah. So, like, when you go there to work, did you have to learn that dialect? Or do they, can no, you, do you no. speak, like, Italian no, no, no. Like, to them? No, no, no. Of course, or? I speak Italian to them. Really? Um they, so some people can speak like yeah yeah okay definitely yeah. definitely but the dialect from central Sicily is pretty peculiar for that place oh yeah even in Sicily there's like a boundary between east eastern Sicily and western Sicily my site is kind of in the middle but it's always been seen as backward a backward place where Interesting. Okay. far from every big town so people there are kind of thick minded right. <laughs> Whereas it's a great place. People <laughs> he, people there live for like 
centuries, I guess. Wow. <laughs> they have like mo- the, most wow. of the people that I met there are over their fifties, and they have a, a very non-stressful life. And, yeah. You know these sort of places, mm. so it's really cool being there. So when you go there, you know you go there during the summer typically to do your research, right? Yes, I go to the museum there, so I'm basically uh, keeping in touch with. Uh, people that manages the museum, people mm-hmm. that manage the museum there. Um, I go, uh, basically, I go there for sampling. So I okay. take samples from pots. Uh, if I can, I avoid destroying the samples because the pot itself, because right. it's a practice that you should be avoiding if you can, right. in order to preserve the material the best you can. Um, but sometimes you can do it. Uh, and I have the authorization to do it, and they've been really supportive because they understood the the goal of this project. We are kind of like trying to shift a little bit the liter- Italian literature in terms of archaeology uh, mm. and in terms of di- the discipline because we want to emphasize the local culture compared to the right. influences coming from the East. Yeah. It, it's since like the 70s that there's this sort of like Oh, early Greeks came to southern Italy. So southern Italy was um, a really cool place because they came here. But we want to change this and say, look, local people were still doing things. They didn't have to wait early Greeks to come in order to emerge. Right. Um, So we're... So you said they were supportive when you kind of first approached... Right. So how did how did you get or who did you get in contact first? Well, did you get in contact with the museum first or like how did you kind of land on on this site in particular? So um, I was looking at um, some sort of project focused on same sort of dynamics. Uh, and I got the opportunity to um, get in touch with uh, a person that works in the local um, public institutions in Agrigento that manages the cultural heritage of Sant'Angelo Muxaro. So I started to talk to her, and uh, Domenica is fantastic. She's really, like, available for everything. So um, she tried, as soon as I got there, she tried to let me know all the people in Sant'Angelo, so she introduced me to all of them. Um, And the day after, they were already able to work they were like yeah come here you can just start sampling you can see what we have and hopefully we can conclude this project with you because i'm also applying a geological perspective i'm also doing survey around sant'angelo muxaro to gather clay samples um see the geological history of the landscape there in order to understand where they could gather clay or what we call inclusions because when you build a pottery vessel basically you don't need just the clay. You also include other products, mm. which are minerals or what we call fluxes, right. which are basically stuff that you include to increase or decrease the temperature in right. order to have a, a specific final product. So how can the geological data that you can gather or generate, how can that kind of support what you're the questions you're asking with sort of like the social cultural change and like ceramics in general let's assume they were gathering clay from a specific place for centuries okay. and all of a sudden they change clay okay i can relate these changes to first of all the type yeah. of pottery that i'm analyzing but also to some sort of like cultural break with the past mm-hmm. um but of course i need more 
clues for that. Right. The, the yeah. tricky part of archaeology is that we can apply all the methodologies that we have and all the theoretical perspective that you want, but we'll, we'll never be able to get into the minds of prehistoric people. It's right. basically yeah. impossible. So yeah. it's always arguing with hypotheses and right. testing them and then changing your hypotheses and testing them again. Because right. you're at the mercy of kind of what you can find. Yes, right? so, basically. It's just cultural know. material. That's yeah, what right. you have. So, like... Can you can you can also kind of tell? I'm assuming based off of kind of the style of the pot, yes, or the ceramics that they're making, kind of if that's influenced by, yes, uh, maybe like settlers or something. But that's what has been done till now in right. Italy. Okay, that's why I wanted to move on and using right. those data and including my new data, data about. Right. Okay. About yeah. the actual technology, not just the aesthetic of the the pot, the way right. they look, but also the way are have been made. Gotcha. Okay. So that's why I'm preparing what we call thin sections, which is something that comes from geology. So I basically gather pottery samples, tiny pottery samples. I basically slice them like a piece of ham or whatever, mm. and I put them on a piece of glass, and I look at them through the microscope to see the actual details of the ceramic inside. Which is, believe me, it's super cool. No. Once you understand how right, it works, right, it's super cool. It I'm still not good at it. I'm been, I have to practice a lot, of course. Right. I think we're gonna take. Um, we're gonna pause right here and take one more music break, and then we'll we'll be back. So stay tuned. Hey, Bulls! You're listening to Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 16:20 m on campus, and streaming worldwide at TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. If you're just now joining us, we've been talking to Jean Piero about his work um, in in the Mediterranean, Mediterranean archaeology, and so we're coming back. And um, you know, if you could speak a little bit more about, um, you know, I guess you've you've gathered most of your samples now, yes. uh, and now you're kind of in the analytical phase or an analysis phase of of your PhD program. So can you tell us a little bit about what you plan to do with your ceramic samples and, and kind of, you know, what your hypothesis is and what you expect to find? So uh, basically what I'm going to do right now is starting a plan, uh, first of all, to apply for grants yeah. <laughs> because you need money right. for the analysis. Right, that's uh, very important. Uh, and you need to combine specifically for pottery when you do technological approach, at least according to the bibliography that I'm looking at, mm -hmm. um, you need to um, basically combine uh, chemical analysis with um, uh, thin section observation, basically. Right. So with the chemical analysis, I can understand the trace elements of pottery um, by using the same techniques, uh, in this case using a portable XRF and... XRF or ICPMS, which are um, instruments that are not strictly related to archaeology, but archaeologists right. have been used them a lot recently, mm. uh, just because they want to like relate um, the chemical composition of the pottery to the chemical composition of the clay. Okay. By doing so, you can actually understand where they gathered the clay, and uh, mm. and. If this changed through time, sorry, uh, if this changed through time, you can actually see patterns of landscape use through time. Right. Um, okay. By doing thin section, though, you can actually see 
um, their way uh, of making pottery, not just mm. what kind of materials, but uh, the actual procedures they were doing. There's different ways of making a pot with clay. You can build it just by hand, which is really tricky if you want to like have a standardized form. Right. You can use the wheel pottery, pottery yeah. wheel, mm -hmm. but as I told you before, um, it didn't arrive on this side of the Mediterranean until later on. Yeah. Um, and also there's coiling, which is making little snakes with pottery and build stack. Oh, one and like on, stacking yeah. them up. Okay. So there's different things to look at. And you can see this sort of like differences through thin sections, not for sure, not through just by looking at them or through chemical analysis. Right. So it's a combination of these methods that hopefully will allow me to actually understand if local people kept their tra technological traditions over time or if they changed it. And what I'm going to expect to find is, for example, if they adopted the pottery wheel, I can see the minerals of the clay um, being ori um, oriented in a specific sense compared to when you build it with your own hand, they don't right. have a specific orientation. So mm. these sort of clues will make you able to actually expand your hypothesis about it. Right. Have you talked to any of the individuals that work at the at the museum kind of about about your questions and, you know, about your research and, you know, have they kind of commented on any, you know, like on so, your project? Unfortunately, from a professional standpoint, I don't have any help there because the people that work at the museums, they're volunteers. I told you this museum has been built by local citizens with their own money and right. the people that are working there are just basically custodians, I would say. Okay. Um, the archaeologists that work there, <clears throat> sorry, uh, never apply this kind of methods to the pottery from Sant'Angelo. Mm. So she can help me understanding all the preliminary phase, so how pottery um, can be related to specific time periods through style and typology, right. but she doesn't know that much about thin sections and chemical analysis okay. right now because right. they never apply this sort of method to the right. site itself. Different like theoretical approaches, yes. I guess, or methodological approaches. Well, in this case, it's right. basically the same because right. the theory that I'm applying, which is really material-based uh, because I'm talking about technology, right. cannot be explained if you just look at the style. Yeah. It's... Um, basically, it's useless if you just right. look at the style. Right. Style is the starting point. And then you go down, further down, and you right. investigate more and right. more. Right. So you have to have, like, a method that's going to suit the question you're asking. Right? Yeah. Or else, so yeah. if there was some sort of technological change in this sort of, like, crucial moment of local prehistory. And local people are really supportive. They really want to know that, even though they're not really aware of the the actual outcome of my project, but right. they really want to know if these people were building their own pots or they were trading pots or they mm. were gathering clay from their site or they were walking right. miles and miles away to obtain them. Do you, you know, after you've kind of written up your, your dissertation, do you plan on maybe going back and kind of presenting on what you found and stuff? Would, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm planning to do that this summer. We're okay. organizing like a, a conference for a local fair which is great because food in Italy during local fair is amazing. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and, yeah, hopefully the community, but I surely bet on it, 
they will be supportive and they will be there to listen to this mm. for sure. And I know you've, um, or at least when we were talking individually before we went live, you said, um, you know, Sant'Angelo Mixaro is kind of promoting this site now for, for tourism. Yes. Right? So can you talk a little bit about, about what they're doing and why they're doing it? So this is also the other exciting aspect of it because I like hiking and I like speleology a lot. Speleology means going into caves and explore caves. Right. And uh, the landscape around Sant'Angelo is full. Uh, so the main geology of the site is sol salt rock. Hmm. Salt rock is mainly gypsum. Now, okay. for people that actually know geology, gypsum is pretty f soluble and fragile. Mm. <clears throat> uh, sorry, as material. Right. Uh, so when the water flows in it, it creates holes and sinkholes and caves. Right. And you can actually go now there and explore those caves. It's amazing. Sant'Angelo, beneath, beneath Sant'Angelo, there's plenty of caves that you can see. And there's also underwater rivers, oh, and under, cool. under, uh, underground rivers, hmm. which is great. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But <laughs> the only problem is that Sant'Angelo is pretty remote as a town. So in order to reach it, you really have to like struggle a little bit with public transportation oh, and stuff yeah. like that. Okay. So they, that's why they, what, this is what they were trying to improve lately, trying to improve the connection, uh, okay. transportation between Sant'Angelo and the other big centers. That's why they're promoting this sort of like ecotourism where they combine archaeology because, as I told you, these are rock-cut tombs. You can right. actually enter in the tombs just by climbing the, mount, the hill. Right. And all around it, there's these caves and there's beautiful landscapes. So they were trying to merge like hiking um, path uh, trails with archaeology combined on it. Oh, cool. And that's why my project comes in because they want to actually address these tombs as locally made for local people or there were like people coming from elsewhere using mm -hmm. them. Interesting. That's why they're promoting this sort of like Sant'Angelo as the big center of central Sicily. So in a way, this project is, you know, sort of applied anthropology as well, in a way. I like yeah. this, kind of, this sort of like yeah. engaging with local community because right. I never thought that there were people that are not aware at all about archaeology pushing you to do like, yeah, do that. I mean, yeah. I like this idea. And they are local people working in the museum. They really... In, um, strictly in contact with people from the local superintendents there, for the for the local with the local uh, public institutions there right. that manages cultural heritage, and this communication is great. They've been promoting the site since five years so far, and there's been more and more requests for tourists to come in mm -hmm. and. As I told you, this town now is kind of, kind of like turning into a ghost town. Yeah. So there's plenty of Airbnb and there's right. plenty of there's opportunity of for room. tourists to go there. Uh, they got me uh, uh, an apartment for 15 days for free. Wow. Just because they're generous, it's amazing people. It's amazing. Wow, that's awesome. So are they doing this promotion mainly for? Are they doing it for like economic reasons, or are they doing it just kind of to show off cultural heritage and kind of saying like you know we have this amazing sort of like well you know, it's kind of environment between. here and... it's kind of in between okay. because they want to preserve their environment there in Sant'Angelo that's why they're not open to any sort of like corporation building there like their farm farms or warehouse right um, but at the same time Sant'Angelo belongs to the Agrigento province 
and Agrigento is pretty famous. Agrigento has still Greek temples, and oh, wow. uh, the, there's the Temples Valley there that it's been visited for decades, and it's the the let's say that's the top, and Agrigento okay. is the top. Mm. That's why people in Sant'Angelo are like, yeah, but we're here, we're here, <laughs> we're here listen too. to us. Um, and that's why this sort of also changing the narrative comes, comes in. Right. And they want to, this way, they want to combine the tourism affecting Agrigento with the tourism affecting Sant'Angelo. Maybe mm. we can find mm. some sort of balance. balance. There that's won't really be, apparently, there won't be any, there's no program to... Uh, um, investing real big money uh, projects, let's say, on right. Sant'Angelo. Yeah. They want to be really sustainable in this sense. Mm. Huh. That's really, oh, wow, that's really interesting. Um, so, hmm. I mean, you need to understand that Italy in general, Sicily specifically, it's there's lots of, like, clashes between towns yeah. and towns, you know. Sure, yeah. So Sant'Angelo is pretty proud of it's past. Sant'Angelo people are really proud of that. Uh, also because of Minos legend and right. all these sure. sort of things that I'm trying to explain. So they're really like, why nobody comes here? Why right. we're isolated? Mainly because um, public transportation lacks a lot of things. So mm. probably archaeology can help promoting new right. ways like of transportation yeah. and things like that. Yeah, and allow people come here. Probably repopulating the town may be good for right. local people itself. Because so, it's like, the young into... doesn't leave yeah. and that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, I mean, there's kind of, I guess, a lot of those, like, uh, socioeconomic kind yes. of concerns that, that goes along with small towns. Um, and archaeology fits perfectly this, um, let's say, this sort of, like, setting. Because right. yeah. those the, the people there, in order to promote their town, besides archaeology, they don't have that much. They have their food products, but mm -hmm. I don't want to generalize, but right. it's Italy, you know. So <laughs> there's not that much advantage in your food production. It's okay. more about what you can actually offer to people from elsewhere. Gotcha. And Sant'Angelo okay. right now... It's kind of still kind of isolated, even if it's improving. But probably that's why they want to mainly rely on archaeology for their. I don't want to say repopulation because they don't want to expand. Right. But right. They want to be still alive. You know. Right. Yeah. So they're sustaining like the town. Yes. Okay. Um, so kind of switching gears and winding down the conversation a little bit here. Um, now, how much time do you have until you f are finished with your dissertation and you know wrapping up your phd so i started this is my third year uh that i'm working uh here in the u.s um by the way it's been like a privilege and a pleasure to get access to the department and um having all the support of Mm. The professors there, the department is amazing. They have labs. I have an office, which makes me really like important in my mind. <laughs> um, uh, so I've been starting working specifically on my thesis since, let's say, a few months. Uh, so hopefully the analytical part won't take that long because we already scheduled, me and the archaeologists working there in Sant'Angelo, we already yeah. scheduled some sort of like uh, program to... Okay. For, to gather the sample, analyze them, and so and so. And then there's the 
editing part, they sure, probably yeah. will take another year. So I guess in a one year and a half, a couple of years, I'm done. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully. But, you know, if you need instruments, then you have to schedule an appointment with the person that is renting you the instrument, and you have to wait your turn to use the instruments. Right, yeah. So, so it's you not have to fit in the yeah. schedule. <laughs> so it's not always up to me. Right, yeah. So I guess you kind of you have to work around like, yes. other people's schedules. but And um, also we need grants. So if yeah, somebody I mean, wants to donate me money, yes, yeah. <laughs> I'm available. Yeah, you got to have money to do all that too. <laughs> um, so what do you plan to do after you graduate? Okay, right now, which is a crucial moment in my life, I guess, um, I still think that I want to be an archaeologist when I be a grown man. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. Now I'm just doing, pursuing my career as a PhD student. Um, uh, trying to obtain a job right now in public institutions in Italy, it's kind of tough. Um, right. But I'll try. As I'll try, I try to apply for a PhD in the US, I will try to apply for a postdoc or even teaching will be fine, not just specifically archaeology, but even middle school or high school, just teaching okay. will be fine. So just either I, like I'm, a public institution or... I'm trying to pursue happiness. That's what I... Oh, yeah. you well, know. hey, I mean, that's... I think more people should have that mindset, right? You know, just I just want to be happy. You know? so. No, I mean, it's not um, uh, rejecting what you've been doing. It's right, yeah. understanding what you're doing and... I'm trying and doing my best, but I know that in Italy the situation is really tough. And yeah, like right now job, economically, like job-wise yeah, and yeah. economically. Yeah, so I really don't know what I can do in Italy with a PhD in archaeology besides keep being in the academia as a researcher for probably other 10 years. Right. And I really don't want that. I really okay. would like to pursue my happiness, as I told you. you know? Right, <laughs> and academia doesn't always do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's uh, kind of challenging. I like challenges. That's why I'm here. But right. I cannot challenge everything for other 20 years. Right, I don't for, want that. for all the time, <laughs> yeah. I totally understand that. Okay, well, that's all the time that we have this week. So thank you, Jean-Pierre, for volunteering your time to come and, and talk to us here in the studio. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And um, if you would like to learn more, we'll have a summary of our discussion on anthroalert.com. So you can go check that out. Um, if you missed part of the discussion or all of it. Um, other than that, thank you for tuning in. We will be here next Friday, same time. So um, I hope you join us again. So have a nice weekend.